Gagan and you're listening to a special episode of the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Stevens Rickard. Monte Carlo is the must-attend reinsurance event that produces equal amounts of stress and excitement in all those who take part in it. It's a free-for-all melee on the Côte d'Azur, with buyers, sellers and brokers of reinsurance, media and other camp followers speed-dating their way through half-hour meeting slots in the hotels around the casino square. Breakfast, lunch, pre-dinner drinks, dinners and post-dinner gatherings are all exploited eagerly from Sunday to Thursday around the second week in September. It's exhausting, but it's also incredibly productive. It's almost a military operation and a microcosm of the renewal process. An old Spanish boss of mine used to describe it as la campaña, the campaign. And like with any military campaign, you need to be meticulously prepared and formulate a robust battle plan. This year, my plan was to talk to as many industry leaders as I could and try to capture the essence of what it's like to be there, in the room, with the top players. Regular listeners will know that I usually talk to one person at a time, but over the course of four days, I managed to record around 20 short interviews. This podcast is really an in-depth documentary on the state of global insurance, reinsurance, and the insurance-related capital markets and its investors. It's a document detailing the state of mind of the key actors that make up the market. The great thing about Monte Carlo is that a consensus can emerge, even from thousands of disparate voices. This year that definitely happened. This is without doubt the toughest and most dynamic reinsurance market since late 2005. And I should know, because I've been to every Monte Carlo from then onwards. I'd like you to experience that tough consensus emerging, and also hear the different harmonies and minor discords from within this great chorus of voices. Enjoy this very special podcast. This episode is supported by Stevens Rickard. Stevens Rickard Limited is an executive search firm with offices in London, Chicago and Zurich, and a specific focus on the global insurance and reinsurance markets. Whilst this is far from unique, what sets it apart is its dedication to searching beyond the obvious, its bespoke DNI reports produced for each project, its near obsession with doing the right thing by both clients and candidates, its 100% track record in completion of assignments, and the pride the firm takes in improving the businesses of its clients and the careers of its candidates. It's not all about us. It's about you. Visit stevensrickard.com to find out more. Here's a scene setter from Charles Goldie, Chief Underwriting Officer of MS Reinsurance. I come to Monte Carlo trying to confirm what I think about the market. And when I showed up, I sort of make three categories. I say reasons why the market might be easier or or softer than it was a year ago, reasons why it might be harder than it was a year ago, and, and reasons why it might be about the same. And when I came, my column of reasons why it might be easier or softer, I didn't have anything. (laughs) <laughs> was that the first time? <laughs> it was very much the first time. Uh, reasons why it might be more difficult or harder. I had a lot and, and I had a few in, in the column of reasons why it might be about the same. And I'm leaving probably with more reasons why it might be harder. A few have moved from the reasons why it might be the same and nothing has moved to the reasons why it might be easier. So it's a bit like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. But this time Goldilocks only gets cold porridge and then it keeps getting colder. I'm sure we'll hear more wisdom from Charlie later. But I find the easiest way to help find your bearings is to talk to a few experienced reinsurance brokers one after the other. After all, it's their job to keep abreast of the market and everything happening in it. I think it's a very hard property market, as hard as I've seen it in decades. We'll see how the rest of this year plays out, but any big loss activity we're going to see get even tighter. That's Rod Fox, CEO of Tiger Risk. Rod is probably the most competitive and combative person in the market. 
If he thought there was any chance that his clients could renew anywhere near expiry, he would say so. So hearing him concede on this point up front speaks volumes. What's someone like Steve Hearn, CEO of Inverie, got to say? I think it's geography by geography. I think that's a good point. And I think it's customer by customer. And you've definitely got to look at product class within that mix as well. But as a very general statement, yes, pricing is going to be difficult and there is going to be a capacity crunch. So a few caveats, but a capacity crunch nonetheless. And here's Tim Gardner, CEO of Lockton Re. I think I would use the word challenged. You know, we certainly, we felt a momentum shift in the market in really June and July of this year, where I think it's fair to say reinsurers took control of pricing and things swung to their favor. And I think we expect more of that at, at 1-1. So there, there certainly is an expectation that we'll have a supply-demand mismatch, and I think that will drive prices up. We all expect that. But, you know, the good news is I think there's still a foundation of orderly behavior that we expect. So again, the mismatch in supply and demand is fully conceded, but laced with the comfort that at least reinsurers should be there for clients in an orderly way. How about another broker with a long career and plenty of hard market experience? This time, Craig Darling, Executive Vice President at Acrishaw Re. Craig, great to be down here in Monte Carlo in the Hermitage Hotel, the Crystal Bar. The sun is shining. So is the sun shining for reinsurers? Oh, the sun is absolutely shining for reinsurers with this rate improvement and uh, form improvement um, and the ability to get uh, premiums up front in many cases, certainly from a property uh, catastrophe standpoint. It's an outstanding time to be a reinsurer. Have you known a market like this since, let's say, was it 2006, 2007? I think the marketplace right now has some resemblance to 2002 after the World Trade Center Although very specific property, very challenging, very dislocated, but because of the world economic changes that are going on, you know, Russia, Ukraine, and some of those factors, you have some world implications, economic implications. It's similar, but it's different because I suppose that time we didn't have an inflation problem. We okay, we had a had a recession that came about around the same time of the dot com crash. But and then two thousand six was similar as well because again that was a very specific hard market in a specific place, and it wasn't a specific hard market for everybody else, was it? That's correct. Right. So this is the first time since two thousand six where there is really a retraction of global reinsurance capacity, certainly from a property perspective. And I think that this retraction has really put a lot of pressure on insurance companies, as well as the volatility of returns for the reinsurance companies. So very much uh, highlighted and very much of a concern. So even the most experienced brokers are conceding that reinsurers have the upper hand in negotiations and parallels are being drawn with hard markets, the likes of which we haven't seen for the last 15 to 20 years, particularly in property. Many others agreed on the property cap front. Here's John Kavanagh, CEO of Lloyd's Incubator, Beat Capital, adding to the comparisons with tough markets past. I mean, evidently, there are some real challenges in the property cap market, obviously driven by the experience that we've had over the last five years, which has not been positive. There's been a lack of capital attracted to the cap business, both conventional retro, ILS retro and cap bond. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting few days to see what the market does about that. It's about as tough a market as we've seen. And we've had three particularly tough markets, 1992, post-Andrew 2005 and now this market. So, so it's interesting you're actually putting it in that bracket. So oh yeah, I think it's, so. It's yeah. for real. Property cap-wise, for sure. So, reinsurers may have the sun shining on them for the first time in a long while, but how are they feeling about this? After a bad few years of heavy rain, when a reinsurer goes outside, are they going to be wearing beach gear or are they still going to bring two umbrellas and a raincoat? 
Over to Jean-Jacques Anchot, CEO of Hanover Re. Well, we'll see in 2023, of course, this will be the, the acid test, uh, but clearly the sun uh, is not really shining in 2022 for the whole industry. There, there are a lot of clouds as well uh, on the horizon. Uh, there is a cloud inflation in particular, the topic of climate change, which was a, a driver of a lot of discussions. And of course, the war in the Ukraine, which is still a big challenge uh, because of the uncertainties related to it. So we'll see. I've spoken to lots of brokers, and so have you, that there's much more of a consensus that things are going to change. There doesn't seem to be any particular argument that prices are going to go up and that things may or may not be restructured. Is that the feeling you've had? It seems to be that there is an agreement. Yes, I, th- I think I see an alignment across all uh, stakeholders, no, no doubt. First time in my life, it seems. But it's clear that uh, the whole market uh, understands the dynamics and the need for the capacity to be put at work with the necessary returns, but also taking it into account the massive exposures and the need for some recovery in, uh, in some lines of business. And is that probably because the inwards insurance world has been able to get the rates that it has wanted and is expecting probably to still be able to do that? Yes, I think you see the bargaining power changing in the market and given the changes in uh, assumptions, given the changes in modeling uh, assumptions in particular, prices terms will need to go up and I think that's the consensus. How much will be, of course, the the market reality? We'll see that, but it seems to be a significant uh, shift. So I think there is a perfect storm with a lot of uh, different indicators going in the right uh, direction from our end uh, in the sense of improving the quality uh, of the business and becoming more resilient. A reality check. Whether or not the sun is really shining clearly depends on your point of view. Where brokers see a sunny day, reinsurers can always pick out a cloud or two. But this is an excellent summary, as you would expect, for someone with the market share and perspective of the Hanover CEO. You can argue about how hard and how fast, but one thing that everyone seems to agree on is the direction of travel. Reinsurers are going to have things much more the way they want them than they have been able to do for a very long time. Let's have some more. This time from Louise Rose, CEO of Transre London Limited and president of Transre Europe. I really do feel that we are at a crossroads, genuinely. Um, I think that it's going to go one of two ways. I think that we will either see, we've seen a hardening in price across different areas over the last couple of years. But I think what's lagged behind is terms and conditions. And I think we need to make more progress there. And honestly, if we don't, I think our capital providers are really going to start losing patience. We haven't made, as an industry, the vast majority of us, profit from our core business of underwriting for the last five years, and that has to change. Louise is espousing a core theme for reinsurers this time. The sun may be beginning to come out, but don't forget how bad the weather has been over the past four to five years. There's definitely an element that enough has been enough, and there is an expectation that not just price will have to change to make the sun come out and stay out for reinsurers. Let's hear some more. Jed Rhodes, President and Chief Underwriting Officer at Markel Global Re, is a market veteran at his final Monte Carlo before retirement, so is likely to give us an unvarnished view of the world. I think the sun has been shining through most of COVID for casualty reinsurers, but I think it will be shining fairly brightly for property reinsurers next year. And I think that probably for specialty reinsurers, it's somewhere in the middle of the two. You've seen lots of markets come and go. Is there anything really new about what's happening today? I don't think there's a lot new here, except if I could use a metaphor. The metaphor would be that 
Imagine insurance as a freight train leaving the train station and imagine reinsurance as a passenger train. And I think that the freight train probably had a year and a half advance departure from reinsurance and has a good head of steam up and is doing well. But passenger trains, you know, are much faster than freight trains. And I think that reinsurance is, while well, got off to a little bit of a slower start, I think they're very quick, more nimble, and will pass the freight train very soon. And will probably be beyond it in terms of rates, in terms and conditions in the not too distant future. And I say that because I believe that when we have an environment like this where it's not just U.S. reinsurers having losses or just Lloyd's having losses or just continental Europeans having losses. When we're all in it together, that creates a hard market. And you don't have to look much further than 2022 when the Munich, the Swiss, the Hanover, and the score may have been not as impacted in 17 and 18 as they are in 22 with the Russia-Ukraine losses, with the South African floods, with the Australian floods, all of a sudden we're all in it together and most reinsurers have not had a very good profitability over the last five years. And when we're all in it together, that creates a true hard market. You see, I'm not the only one who's never short of an analogy. We will all miss you, Jed. This is a fully aligned hard market. Everyone's on board the train. And that's why brokers can't find any significant differences of opinion among reinsurers to help play everyone off against each other. And that's almost certainly why I can't find anyone who's going to disagree with the assertion that prices are going to rise and all other conditions are going to become more favorable for reinsurers. But why is that? Well, Tim Gardner and his colleague, Bob Bissett, chairman of Global Retrocession and Property Specialty at Lockton Re, can see the weight of boardroom and investor worries weighing heavily on reinsurer CEOs and chief underwriting officers. Bob joins in halfway through. You know, I think that the driver of how we've gotten to the market we're in has less to do with capital constraint and more to do with just volatility and return, where boards and the executive group is saying, we need to cut ags, we need to cut property exposure. We were discussing just the other day that it feels like the hierarchy of a reinsurer is, is more compressed now than it's ever been. The board has influence and always have had influence on the CEO and, and the CUO, but it, sometimes it feels like the CEO is sitting right next to the underwriter while they're making decisions on certain contracts. So that or, compression is... Or even that they've also got one of their main shareholders sitting next to the CEO who's sitting next to the underwriter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There is a very clear discussion point all the way through the chain. Boards have really got the message, and they are making sure that the underwriters do too. Time to bring in Richard Brindle, Chairman, Group CEO and CEO of Fidelis. CAT has gone dramatically out of favour in boardrooms right around the world. And the whole game now for brokers is to say, how the hell do we actually get our clients to understand that if they want coverage, they're going to have to stop trying to play us off against each other, come up with these infantile offers of plus five. Because you're just going to get a giant raspberry from the market. We as brokers have to have the mandate from you, our clients, to get real now. Because if you want the expiring capacity plus probably 10-15% for inflation, because there's going to be a lot of demand for new top layers now, where do you think that capacity is coming from? You know, is it coming from the moon with cheese on it? Where is that capacity? So it's time for everybody to get real now. 
a characteristically robust message from Mr. Brindle. Trevor Carvey, CEO of Conduit Re, echoes the point about inflation driving demand into an already tight market. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of conversations. Every client that we engage with at a renewal now, they lead the conversation. If our because clients, they, they need just they absolutely need fifteen percent more capacity just yeah. to keep up with inflation. Right? Well, yeah, and their own boards, their own actuaries, their own risk manager is basically saying you've got a charge to stay ahead of the underlying inflation. So we all agree it's there. The issue is on quantum. And this is again echoed by Patrick Hartigan, head of treaty at Beasley. 10 to 20 billion of new limit may be required just to keep up with inflation. We've already had one early placed January renewal, and that was extended far beyond the normal sort of six-week process and eventually went at a very significant price. And I think the brokers felt that that was what was required because there was additional capacity sought. So I think that's why they're going to get quotations in with huge ranges and they're going to have to have those quotations come with a capacity because otherwise with what we foresee which 10 to 20 billion of new cover through 2023 they'll need to gauge the market and what is required to clear so let's summarize a perfect storm of many years of poor results in cat but also in many other areas uncertainty over live losses, investor capitulation and fatigue at such high frequency, severity and high volatility year after year. The global nature of the losses, meaning they've hit everyone and no one's missed out. Global inflation, Ukraine, mark-to-market investment losses, increased demand. Everyone can name different reasons. We've never seen a more united front. Indeed, never in Jean-Jacques Anchot's long career. Let's let someone in the unique position of John Kavanagh of Beat Capital summarise the situation. I say unique because he's the only person I know who's been a buyer, seller and broker of reinsurance in his career. As a buyer, we're bracing ourselves for some difficult negotiations. As a seller, we're rubbing our hands. So there you have it. Sellers win for a change. So now we've all agreed that the market is tight. What does this mean for buyers? For example, will there be gaps and shortfalls in programmes? Here's the rational and logical view from Eduardo Perez de Lima, CEO of Mapfrey Re. I think that uh, if we are able to generate sufficient returns, there will be capital available. The constraint today in terms of capital and capacity is because we simply were not profitable enough and stable enough and predictable enough. Once we are able to get there, maybe in the short term there are constraints and there are difficulties, but if we are able to provide reasonable returns for the risk that we are taking, there will be capital available and we will provide the solution. So if reinsurers rebuild a market with stable and predictable returns, the capital will surely come back. John Paul Conoscente, CEO of SCORE Global PNC, agrees, but there's definitely work to do. You know, we're all in the business to make money. Everyone is trying to get to a point where, you know, we can start making profit again. So I think the question is, is about price, is about coverage. You know, nobody expected COVID to be a PNC risk and for property business interruption to be one of the main drivers of those losses. And it's just because the wordings that we have are very broad. And so it picks up perils and losses that I think we don't price for. So I think there's a question of price, there's a question of coverage. And I think really what it amounts to is is a question of price adequacy. If price adequacy is there, I think there'll be capacity. Kathleen Reardon, CEO of Hiscox Re and ILS, also thinks programs will get home, perhaps with some restructuring, and that rising inwards pricing on insurance certainly helps bring different options into play. I think the industry will be able to step up and serve the clients for the most part, but there will be at times some difficult decisions to be made. So for the most part, our clients have been 
receiving additional premiums on their inwards portfolio that they can direct towards increased limit purchase. But some other clients might choose to have a more fixed budget approach and choose to move attachments up instead or in combination with. So either way, we're there. We can give structuring thoughts, pricing thoughts, just different optionality for the clients. Now let's talk to Jim Williamson, Group Chief Operating Officer at Everest Re. I do think there will be capacity gaps. I think a lot of that is demand for reinsurance is increasing. You know, it's a risky environment that we're living in. Many of our seedants want to buy more reinsurance, not less. And they're doing that at a time when many reinsurers are looking to sell a little bit less capacity. So I do think that'll cause a bit of a crunch. I think for best underwriters, who happen to be a lot of our customers, ultimately, they'll be able to get their deals done at fair terms. I think those terms will involve increased pricing, uh, maybe tighten terms and conditions, higher attachment points than uh, they would have last year. But I think they'll certainly get their deals done. Jim hinting at a bit of differentiation between better clients and others there, but sounding confident that at least nothing bad will happen to good people. Let's hear from a broker. Here's Tim Gardner of Lockton Re again. With a mismatch, does that mean that there might be programs that cannot be completed? Possibly. I think there's probably a likelihood that there will be more demand than supply. But if you get the right price, you should be able to get it. You will unlock new supply at a higher price. That's our expectation. I don't think there's a lot of capacity waiting in the wings, and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of capacity that's coming to save the market. But we're in an overcapitalized space. We're in a, in a market where we think there is probably enough capacity in the main, but miss a price or be a program that's potentially out of favor because of loss experience or whatever. And I think you potentially have problems. So it's not altogether clear how the market is going to behave or what better terms might unlock from reinsurers diminishing supplies of spare dry powder. Let's go to a summing up from Simon Bird, Group Executive Underwriter and Active Underwriter of Syndicate 2988 at Brit Insurance one of the market's best-known casualty treaty underwriters, but here talking specifically about property. This isn't my principal area of expertise, but I would say what I've seen this year, particularly since end of quarter one, is that every North American CAT excess of loss program signed in full. And really, capacity is the pips have been squeezed or whatever particular cliche you want to trot out there. If you then start looking at the revision of underlying insured valuations, that's putting a huge additional demand and that's without building any new bricks and mortar. It's there. It's something that insurers are driving through because there's a real need to make sure that we are actually pricing off the right base. And that applies to insurance and reinsurance. So do you think we might, have, we might have genuine shortfalls at which you say, well, actually, we're running out of capacity and we'd love to write it but we can't. I think there's a risk of that, definitely, because I'm aware of one or two US companies that at the middle of this year were looking to buy sort of 15% more and that's sort of stable book. So that is basically the revaluation of their exposures being taken into account. That inflation-led new demand, again, appears to be the potential spanner in the works and the factor that looks like making property the poster child for this hard market. We had a hint at this earlier, but I thought it was important to ask the question specifically. If capital is short and there might be shortfalls, will new capital be formed and come into the market? And if it does, how might it be received? Will it be a welcome compliment to help fill in the gaps and keep clients protected in their hour of need? Or will it be an unwelcome, destabilising force? Binion didn't vary that much on this. Here's me chatting to Steve Hearn. It was about, you know, after, particularly after the, that class of 2005, we started to talk about, with sidecars and much quicker capital, we started to talk about there won't be cycles anymore, there won't be this. 
what happened? I thought, you know, capital was only supposed to be getting faster and faster. Now it's hesitant. Is it yeah. always just the pure psychology of the market? We've had four really bad years and no one really wants to be here for the fifth with a fresh billion that then gets dented. Well, there's always psychology. I mean, that's absolutely yeah. right. That must be a driver. There's a risk-averse DNA aspect to a lot of reinsurance capacity. And given track record over recent years, you could understand why they wouldn't want to participate in the fifth period, as you describe. So for sure, usually there's a counterforce that arrives at some point, which starts to affect market share and obviously pricing going up. And we've got the inflation impact and all of the other tailwinds that should drive a more regular outcome outcome in time. It just isn't going to turn up by Q4 this year and Q1 next year. Right. So it's just not happening. Just not happening. I don't think so. So even if capital formation may happen as market performance improves, it isn't happening fast enough to make a dent in 1-1. How about Rod Fox of Tiger Risk, historically a broker who's been very close to capital formation? Personally, by the way, I think it's a great opportunity to come in, but we've seen investor concern over volatility and do you think we could see entrance again i I think we will yeah i think it's going to be a little more muted at the moment you're not going to see six or brand name yeah you'll see cars that kind of thing no i think you might see a brand or two but you're not going to see seven of them right but yeah there will definitely be some new caps it might be time for you know someone who's been dying to do this to pull the trigger yes degree of difficulty harder than i think it was 10 years ago but it might be just enough to someone who was wavering to say, right, I'm going for it. Absolutely. It's good to hear something bullish from Rod, but it's going to be hard to convince investors. And it doesn't sound like a tidal wave of hot new money is looking for a home. Here's a similar view from Alex Maloney, CEO of Lancashire Group, another firm well-connected to end investors through its Kinesis Capital Markets platform. And you're very close to the capital markets. What's your feeling for an improving market, unlocking some new capacity to come in? That, and also, will your view on whether that capacity would be welcome or not? I think it would be very difficult at the moment. And I think that all investors are somewhat scratching their heads. If you look at the last five years, we've had consecutive rate change every single year, but no one's really made their cost of capital. And I think in very simple terms, until we can prove to the investors that we can be sustainable, I don't think anyone's coming in anytime soon. That's not to say look, there may be a startup here and there. People may raise some capital here and there, but I don't think it changes anything. And I think the number one priority for every carrier is to go back to something that is sustainable. So one or two loan riders may come, but certainly no cavalry to save or indeed spoil the day. Jim Williamson agrees that a few startups are very unlikely to change market dynamics or make Everest re-review its strategy. Do you think this is a sort of market that might be welcoming of new entrants? Well, as an incumbent, I never welcome new entrants, I would say. You know, I think it might. But, you know, at the end of the day, my view is the supply demand imbalance, and in particular, if you're talking property cat, is such that some new entrants aren't really going to change the fundamentals of the equation. So that would be one issue. And then the second issue is that um, most of our seedants are really looking to trade with quality. And so a company that raises a few hundred million or billion dollars to write property cat is not the kind of quality counterparty that most of our customers are looking for. And so I don't really view new entrants as being or having really any effect on how Everest conducts business. And I think Kathleen Reardon largely agrees with the above. 
I guess what we're looking at is we don't expect a last minute influx of capital from the ILS market. There are some people that have been in the market for a very long time and have seen the profitability that our market can produce. That's sticky capital and we expect them to stay. There'll be others that came in during the run of losses and perhaps got easily distracted to elsewhere. But it's, what's interesting is the investors are not only investing in our sector, but they're investing in equities and other sectors that have been impacted as well by the broader macroeconomic conditions. So they're just rebalancing their portfolios, reconsidering their allocations, but not necessarily retreating from our sector. So overall, probably a flattish view from our perspective at Hiscox Re on the ILS market, but you know, a lot of those are long-term partners. So ILS is also sounding a little flat. Will anyone summon up the courage to be greedy when others are fearful? Here's Patrick Hartigan, head of treaty at Beasley. We could increase our NatCat risk appetite within our short-tail business lines. But not right now. Not right now. There's just not enough evidence yet. But again, if we see in the next, well, let's say three months to six months, if we see light at the end of the tunnel, then I think we'll be able to support. And it would be good to support our clients, particularly when they are looking for additional capacity. Nice to hear that the spirit of Cuthbert Heath still lives on in Lime Street. But again, the timing doesn't sound urgent. Let's leave it to Steve Hearn to sum up. You've seen some commentators, thinking of a Goldman report by example, talking up this as an ideal time for new capital to emerge, for the arrival of the next fleet of ILS, etc. And you hear whispers but it's not manifesting in anything I'm aware of anyway at this stage. So we have, at least in the immediate future, and certainly up to and through 1-1, a challenge of supply and demand. You can never rule anything out. And it's worth taking Carrier's comments with a little pinch of salt. As Jim Williamson quipped earlier, no carrier ever wanted new competition to come in just when the market was improving. But this time... It really does appear that, barring a small amount of possible action at the margins, major help is probably not going to arrive, and buyers are on their own, with only their best brokers to help them out. So now that reinsurers are going to finally get what they want in return for their capacity, what are they going to push for? One thing near the top of the list is the chance to unbundle much of what has been bundled together over the prolonged soft market squeeze of the previous 15 years. Over time, many coverages and lines have been lumped together into composite reinsurance programmes, particularly in specialty classes. This is all well and good, if there's great disclosure. But over time, competition can come at the cost of transparency, and reinsurers can lose track of what is where. It's usually only when a run of losses comes in that what is being covered becomes a lot clearer. Let's start off with John Kavanagh of Beat Capital and then Jim Williamson of Everest Re. I would be very surprised if things like political violence, terror will be included within a multi-class, multi-pillared specialty product. I think it's going to be deconstructed. Yeah, I think in the specialty markets in particular, that's a trend that we'd like to see develop more. You know, after the invasion of the Ukraine, I think there was a belief that a lot of the specialty markets, in particular the uh, political violence market, would begin to be disaggregated from a lot of marine treaties. Our view is that provides us a better opportunity to underwrite and price exposure. And when we can do that, I think we f- frankly offer our clients best solutions when we have that opportunity. It's clear expectations have changed hugely after Ukraine, but the reinsurance shock may not be too hard to deal with because the underlying business is also shaping up to do plenty of unbundling of its own. Here's first Richard Brindle of Fidelis, and then Alex Maloney of Lancashire, both with a pedigree in these markets. It's about how the underlying business is underwritten. So if you look at the Terra PV business, how that was underwritten. So it's sort of worldwide at the moment. Well, 
the two mega brokers had these facilities. I'm not criticizing them. I, I'd have done the same if I were in their shoes, but they had these incredibly lax facilities where not only were there blind following mandates for all the following markets, but the leaders were able to compete on price and the cheapest one got the order. Then they'd bind the whole market. We've heard horror stories about large exposures in Ukraine, which were bound leader only. There was one where the sum insured was increased threefold, a sunflower crushing plant in Ukraine, as Russian troops were massing on the border, leader only. So these are the sort of market practices that have to stop. And indeed, I think they will stop. From what I'm hearing, these facilities, which are 1-1 facilities, are going to have to completely change. We're a substantial buyer of that type of product. And, and over the years, it's, it's fair to say that we've done what others have done. And we've gone very composite. And I think particularly for any kind of war or political violence cover, you're definitely going to see that end of the market being very hard. I don't think there's any additional capacity. I think some of the losses coming out of Ukraine have definitely been a surprise. And particularly some of the broken facilities, which thankfully we don't underwrite. But I think that's just been very poor underwriting that's now been exposed by an awful war in Ukraine. Tough times indeed. But for many reinsurers, the question is not about disaggregating in and of itself. It's really about getting the underlying information they need to do the underwriting properly. Here's Jean-Jacques Anshaw of Hanoveri, followed by Louise Rose of Transry. Unbundling the things that over previous years have been bundled together. Is that something that you will be pushing for? Yes, we're going to push for that. We've been talking about it uh, throughout uh, the Monte Carlo rendezvous. So uh, a number of uh, existing uh, businesses uh, will need to be uh, structured a bit differently so that we have uh, more transparency and, uh, and less uh, complexity uh, and, and question marks on the, uh, on the aggregates. If you understand the exposures that you're writing, you can price it accordingly and you can structure it accordingly. And I think one of the challenges is that the bundling together of things isn't in and of itself the problem. It's the reason why things get bundled together in the first place. And that's often maybe to mask the fact that transparency of data hasn't been good enough. And that's as much on reinsurers as it did on insurers. And I think that for me is really what I'm talking to our clients about. It's about transparency, understanding the exposures, and very importantly, clarity around wording. Because I don't think the industry is doing itself any favors with this kind of constant, you know, we saw it with COVID litigation and we're seeing it again now with Ukraine. And reputationally, I don't think it's good. And it comes from lack of clarity at the outset around what we're covering and the exposures that are there. And here are similar messages from Jean-Paul Conoscenti of SCORE, followed by Eduardo Perez de Lima of Matfrey Re. It's not also disaggregating everything. Today we have uh, treaties that cover apples and oranges and bananas. And what we want to do is, if you find a price that prices all three, that's fine. But as maybe one is outsized compared to the other two, it might make sense to pick it out. Kind of like we did on, on cyber, you know, as cyber became an issue, we start seeing more and more cyber being pulled out of property and casualty treaties and being placed separately. Same thing for terrorism going back a few years. Probably what I would call is uh, we would push to have clarity on the exposures that are in the different businesses. The, the problem is with these aggregations of things. We've been putting together so many different things and things that were not really fully clear that we were covering or not fully disclosed and not in a way of bad faith. It was simply the aggregation of things that uh, probably we need clarification and we need clarity of what we are covering. And of course, uh, knowing the exposure is there and put a price for that. And uh, probably there are, it's typical thing of software markets that you get that very often and probably we need more clarity. And then with that clarity to structure solutions that are useful for everyone. It's time to get all your apples, oranges and bananas in a row. Whereas in softer times, bundling can produce a discount, a bit like an all-you-can-eat buffet. 
In harder markets, the opposite can be true as reinsurers tend to assume the worst about what they don't know. This time, it really may be better for clients to go a la carte and pay only for what they really need. Jim Williamson of Everest explains. What goes a little bit unappreciated is when there's a bundling of different types of exposures in the same treaty, and in particular when that's accompanied by maybe inadequate information about the individual exposures, we tend to assume the worst and we price accordingly. The availability of capacity might be less. And so my view to clients and certainly what we're communicating is if you give us a chance to unbundle it and underwrite it appropriately with good conversations with the client, we can give you the best opportunity, the best deal can be put on the table. And that's what we're hoping happens. If it doesn't, we're prepared to trade you know, in, in any format, I just think it'll result in better client solutions if we can really disaggregate what are ultimately very different exposures and handle them appropriately. So specialty classes are primed for radical change. But what about core property? Here, some of the restructuring is a little more obvious. Higher retentions and the removal of special features. Here's Alex Maloney making a simple point about retention levels in general, followed by Trevor Carvey of Conduit Re. If you look at some of the issues, particularly in the cat's market, for the last five years, I think some of those are just born out of poor underwriting. Certain clients have got the same retentions they had 15 years ago. So guess what? When claims happen, those claims are coming into the reinsurance market where they probably shouldn't be. So I think it feels like a back to basics moment. Some of the advanced sightings for Jan 1 are having bells and whistles removed. Yes, they are. So, you know, drop down, top and drops, that kind of feature. And here's Patrick Hartigan of Beasley with a more expansive point about territories and perils. Whichever way you look at it, it's back to basics and getting exactly what you pay for and nothing more. In the past, I think we've seen it in territorial terms. So trying to sort of unbundle the US from international and then international, the sort of primary territories from the emerging territories, I think we'll now start to see it with perils because there are sort of capital affecting perils, hurricane, earthquake or typhoon, earthquake, and then there are more earnings affected perils. And so unbundling those just seems to make sense because it's not going to be affordable when you bring everything together. If you aggregate everything, I just don't think there can be any visible risk transfer. And that's not necessarily good for the market. If reinsurers have their way, it seems obvious that one way or another, in aggregate, the net retentions of sedents are going to contain more risk. That usually spells good news for facultative reinsurance brokers who can find much more incisive and controlled purchases on behalf of clients. This exchange with Albert Benchimol, CEO of Axis Capital, really sets the scene. I do believe that that situation is going to cause primary companies to have to absorb a little bit more volatility. And it's also my expectation that as a result of that, we should see a resurgence of pricing on the primary side for property. But because of that higher net, do you think we're going to see a greater focus on facultative reinsurance, which we haven't spoken of for quite a while now? Absolutely, because I think as you're aggregating a larger number of risks and keeping a retention, you may want any one individual risk to be just a little bit smaller. And because FAC is so much a broker domain, I'm really glad I had time to speak about this with Mike Patworth, Head of Property and Casualty at Miller. Mike boasts enormous experience as a fact specialist in his long career. Nowadays, no one buys fact for capacity reasons, but what we do find is that there is an interest in reducing volatility within net retention. One of the consequences of the harder market and COVID is that some of the big carriers started writing smaller lines. So you remember a few years ago, people were going to writing 100% of programs or 50% of programs. Now they're going to 10%, 15%, 20%. The consequence of that is that more started to go into net 
than was going into the treaty market, which means that underwriters are finding that the vast majority of their losses are falling entirely within net and volatility within net, whilst containable from a big capital perspective, greatly distorts local P&Ls, say in a region or in one country. So we're finding that we are being asked to help out with layers of 75 over 25. So if you're writing a 10% line and your retention is 100 million, they do seven and a half over two and a half. And so we're, we're seeing a fair amount of fact within that area and it's keeping us busy. So expect the fact renaissance to continue, much like the way it did from 2006 onwards. Now it's time to talk about the bigger picture and talk about how this hard market is going to affect trading relationships. If we see the market as adversarial, then in soft markets, clients and brokers have the upper hand and reinsurers suffer. And when times are hard, reinsurers have the chance to get their revenge. In soft markets, clients segment reinsurers, and in hard markets, reinsurers segment clients. But many reinsurers and their clients don't talk like that. They talk about partnership through thick and thin. Big changes in the market are definitely times when partnerships get put to the test like never before. As some relationships snap, so other new bonds can be bound. Strong reinsurers get to be able to trade on and forge new relationships, whereas weaker ones don't. In hard markets, reinsurers finally get offered some of the programs they've always wanted to be shown, but which didn't used to need them. So there's a lot of change and opportunity on both sides. When markets change, the best traders always do well. Let's talk about this. Here's Charlie Goldie of MS Reinsurance making a simple point to kick us off. It's a fairly straightforward trade. They, they need some cat capacity. I have cat capacity. I'd like to get some more diversifying business. They offer diversifying business. It's the match made in heaven. Matchmaking is going to have to be the order of the day for reinsurance brokers, as trading one precious commodity, capacity, for other desirable properties, i.e. profitable diversifying business, takes place like never before. Here's John Paul Conocentive's score to back Charlie up. We have capacity for clients that recognize that price adequacy is required, and also recognize that it's not just about CAD. CAD is today the, the main topic of conversation. It's always the headline. But for us, I think what we're looking for as a reinsurer is balance, balance geographically, balance across lines of business. And so that balance has to be, you know, if you provide CAT, which is in high demand right now, there has to be compensation on the other lines of business and other geographies. So we're, I think we give privilege to clients that recognize that, recognize both the price adequacy need and the need for better diversification. And Eduardo Perez de Lema of Matfrey is also making conciliatory noises and emphasizing consistency of approach. We don't try to punish, of course. Uh, to be honest, we will push to get appropriate uh, conditions to the risk that we take. And probably the, our cost of capital is in the rise and we need a little bit more. But we don't punish anyone. We only want to have normal conversations about the business uh, on an individual basis and see how we can get the business with enough margin. And uh, I think that's a good way to approach it and not really a big change to what we have to always done. So no punishment here, just a plea for a fair crack of the whip. Something that Albert Benchmol is also keen to emphasize. I think at this point in time, the reinsurers do need to do a little bit better than they have in the past. And ideally, it'll be in the context where everybody does better in 2023. Uh, it's not about one party doing better at the expense of the other. It's about making sure that the risk is properly priced on the front end and that every participant in the risk chain makes an adequate return for their contribution. And what of Hanover Re, the most successful large reinsurer of its peer group? Jean-Jacques Anchot prefers long-term relationships, but sees opportunities to trade everywhere, with all types, and still sees room to build new relationships. 
Generally, you know, what we try to do is seek a partnership approach, have a long-term view on uh, how we work together with Seedens. So partnership will be the name of the game uh, for those who want to go that route and, and have a, a two-way street when we talk about risks and exposures. Uh, the capacity will be available. Uh, those who are more opportunistic in uh, nature or more short-term oriented will not uh, get much of our capacity going forward. Not to say that you would be opportunistic with the opportunistic. <laughs> you can be opportunistic with the opportunistic. That's the way to go. That's client segmentation. And we never exclude it, of course. But what we don't want is just to pretend there is a partnership approach and then uh, the, the next difficulty comes and then you realize that's uh, very transactional. That's not and something we desire. In two or three years, they've gone again. Exactly. And... So so we, we need to, to set the stage for that. And new partnerships are abundant, are potentially abundant. And we want to uh, also uh, support new business models new ideas it's a vibrant marketplace and uh, we're not just managing a stock of business we, we need also fresh ideas and Kathleen Reardon of Hiscoxry and ILS is clearly open for business we're not retreating on our deployment of property cat capacity we will certainly deploy it rationally and make sure it's with proper clients at proper prices but I guess we started our re-underwriting initiatives about three years ago. So addressing those attachment points that haven't changed in a decade, addressing the structures of the aggregates to make them more sideways loss, not first loss. So I would say we were, you know, now that the rest of the market is caught up, I would say we were ahead of that for the most, we were in the front pack of making those changes to our portfolio. So now that the opportunity is here to step up and serve our clients in their time of need, we're actually ready and at a clean slate. So clearly there's opportunity to trade and plenty of markets to trade with. Let's let John Kavanagh of Beat Capital have the final word. Back to my broking days, I always said to our clients, you know, this is not a contact sport. This is a long game. You know, you have to make sure that your reinsurers make some money during that period of the relationship. When it goes up and it goes down, you suffer the vagaries of certain types of markets. But ultimately, everybody has to win out of this. That was a sort of philosophy that I adopted as a broker, and it's one I adopt as a buyer. I mean, we've set big capital partners up as a perpetual business. And perpetual businesses that are reinsurance dependent means that your reinsurers have to make some money. Otherwise, there is no perpetuity. And we will do that. I feel that if you're going to use the leverage that reinsurance provides, which is massive, there's got to be something in it for the people that give you that leverage. So let's all play the long game if we can. But what about the here and now? Seedens have a very tough Q4 and probably Q1 to get through. What can they do about it right now? Here's John Kavanagh again. We'll consult with our brokers and obviously having been one for many, many years, you know, we do place a lot of value on what our brokers tell us. They're far closer to the action than we are. So what we do is go through a consultative process with our brokers before we go anywhere near the market to try and work out, you know, how we can best work around the certain market conditions that we face. So we will be as prepared as we possibly can be. The best brokers really earn their crust when the market is tough to navigate. So make sure you have one on your side that really believes in you. Here's Rod Fox. You need true professionals on your team. I refer to it as hard market brokers. There are a number of people who have never seen a market like this where you're fighting and scratching for every dollar of capacity. So this is where you prove your mettle. So you're not saying, hey, come over here, I can get 10 points off. That is not that kind of market. <laughs> well, you know what it does? You may not be saying it that way, but it's a great opportunity to innovate. I can get it home and they the can't. The bog standard yeah. product is not going to work. So how do we design different features that work for the market and the different risk appetites? And what other practical advice is there for clients? Here's Steve Hearn of Inveree. I think there is a consensus and I think it is advice 
such that we're able to give at the moment is go early in terms of the road ahead, right? So the customers get in early and be prepared. Yeah, I think, I hope we have. I hope other intermediaries have done a good job prepping their customers for what's coming down the line and making them understand what is achievable, both in terms of extent of coverage and pricing, because both of those factors are going to be significant issues at 1-1 for many, many organizations. So get in early and be prepared. And here, Louise Rose of Transry lays it all out really clearly. Transparency in everything is the order of the day. Short message to brokers and to clients as 1-1 comes into view. Transparency. I think transparency. We want to be there to service our clients' needs. We want to grow. We're not in business to stay static or go backwards on a permanent basis. But I think to do that sustainably, we have to have a better understanding than perhaps we've had historically around some of the exposures. And and then we can price and, and work with clients accordingly. So really work your submission, make sure it's yes. got everything and I don't have to have to ask you 20 questions at the end of it. Absolutely. I think that's at the core. I think, you know, I say the same about loss. Look, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty at year end in terms of still COVID, frankly. I mean, there's some big court cases with rulings due in the UK before the end of the year. We're not going to have any amount of clarity around the Ukraine losses. So again, grown up conversations, sensible conversations around the current loss picks and how it can go up and down from there. And what's baked in, honesty about what's being baked into the pricing at year end, I think is really important. So be prepared for a very thorough and comprehensive examination and make sure you have the ability to share all the information that is likely to be requested of you. Clearly, the back office is going to be working overtime. Cancel or leave. To mix metaphors, ducks, apples and bananas are all going to have to be in a row, and they may have to be reordered completely. Let's let Rod Fox have the final word. It sounds like it's a tough renewal coming up. I think so. Absolutely. I think people should prepare for difficult renewal. Thanks for listening. And if you can, have a pain-free renewal. This episode is supported by Stevens Rickard. Stevens Rickard Limited is an executive search firm with offices in London, Chicago and Zurich and a specific focus on the global insurance and reinsurance markets. Whilst this is far from unique, what sets it apart is its dedication to searching beyond the obvious, its bespoke DNI reports produced for each project, its near obsession with doing the right thing by both clients and candidates, its 100% track record in completion of assignments, and the pride the firm takes in improving the businesses of its clients and the careers of its candidates. It's not all about us. It's about you. Visit stevensrickard.com to find out more. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.
www.ghostbusters.com. <laughs>